Welcome to the Power Kid Podcast, the premier and longest running podcast focused on the modern toy and entertainment industry. Power Kid is an award-winning design and development firm, and we are a proud member of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. Adventure Media is the publisher of your favorite industry publications, including the Toy Book, the Toy Insider, and the Pop Insider. I am your host, Phil Albritton, and I bring you great conversations with talented people making amazing products for kids. Toys, books, games, TV, movies, I bring them to you here every episode. Welcome aboard. Hello, 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 Power Kids, and welcome to another Power Kid podcast. Guys, every week, as I say, it is my honor and privilege to bring you these great conversations with people all over the toy and game industry. And today we're going to focus on the licensing industry with Stephen Extract. Let me introduce you to Stephen. Stephen is the brand director of the Global Licensing Group and the co-founder and former publisher of 20 years of the world world's leading business publication focused on the global consumer products licensing business. He has organized many licensing trade fairs and conferences, including Licensing Expo, Brand Licensing Europe, Licensing Expo Japan, Licensing Expo China, and Licensing Leadership Summit. He is a globetrotter all over the world, and he is a sought-after voice on all things in the licensing industry. Stephen, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Phil. It's a pleasure to be here. So much to unpack, so much to talk about in this show. This is a $300 billion a year global licensing business that we're going to try to unpack in about 30 minutes. So we have a task uh, before us, but I always start in the beginning, Stephen. How did you get involved in the licensing industry? Ah, Phil, that's a good question. So not too many people um, really uh, start out their lives going, I want to be in the licensing business. <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not one of those. So and, and, and until recently, there hasn't been a lot of courses uh, at the university level in licensing. There are now like NYU uh, is doing some courses, UCLA. Uh, and other schools are starting to sort of add licensing courses to their marketing programs. Licensing is simply a, a marketing discipline similar to, uh, to other marketing disciplines like advertising, marketing, public relations. Licensing is a marketing tool that companies use to, to take their brands and extend them into other areas. Uh, how I got into it was really uh, had to do with opportunity. So I started my career in entertainment industry journalism. I worked for magazines, uh, Video Review, Premier Magazine, and a daily uh, paper called The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, so I, f I was very focused on entertainment, on the entertainment business. Uh, when I was at university, I sort of did some deep soul searching and thought, what's an industry I can get into that's going to be bulletproof, that's not going to go through, you know, like manufacturing. We saw in the, in the, in the 70s and 80s, and uh, we saw the loss of manufacturing jobs in the U.S., and I wanted to be in something that I knew would sort of be bulletproof, and I knew entertainment. People would always want entertainment, so I thought, and I was interested in journalism. I grew up in a family of journalists, um, publishers, and so I went down that road, and um, in, uh, in, 
late 1997, I was working for the Hollywood Reporter, and I got a call from my uh, from my boss in L.A. I was based in New York. Said, "Hey, there's this new show that just moved to the Jacob Javits Center in New York, which is where." New York Toy Fair takes place. It's called Licensing Show. Can you go over and check it out? And I was like, well, what's it all about? I don't know. Uh, Just go check it out. There's a lot of Hollywood studios there. So I went over to Jacob Javits. I, I got in with a press badge and I'm walking around and I'm thinking, wow, this is really strange. These a lot of entertainment studios here that are creating products from their from their IP. This is kind of cool. So um, right at the same time that I had been uh, that I was going to cover that show, I was approached completely separately. I was approached about launching a trade publication for the licensing industry. So having literally several weeks prior gone to licensing show, all of a sudden I I understood what licensing was and I thought it was kind of unique and interesting. And the concept that we developed was really to cover the waterfront of licensing, every area of consumer products licensing, from art to brands, to sports, to uh, gaming, uh, publishing, pretty much across the board. And so it was, I was sort of at a crossroads. I had been asked to move to LA to, to, to work in the, in the headquarters at the Hollywood Reporter. I didn't want to move to LA. I wanted to stay in New York. My wife and I were expecting our first child. And I thought, this is, this is, if I'm going to do it, this is the time to do it. So I made the leap. We started this magazine, uh, really grassroots. We, we had, we didn't have, uh, we didn't have a lot of investment. Um, we were in this leaky, uh, walk up fifth floor walk up on 52nd street in New York. It, it would rain and the rain would like pour down on our, on our computers. And, and, uh, and so we launched it and luckily um, we launched it in time for toy fair, February, 1998. So we had a couple of months to launch it. I'd gone out to Los Angeles and I managed to get pretty much all the Hollywood studios to support it. Um, to say, you know, they, they all were, were on board and they said, let's support this. And we got them to, to get behind it with advertising support. And so from our very first issue, we were profitable. Uh, at the same time, the people, the company that owned Licensing Expo wanted a magazine to support their expo. And they were looking in the marketplace. They were going to launch their own. And then they heard about us and they came to us and said, hey, we want to buy you. And we're like, well, we can't, uh, we can't sell our magazine. We just started it. We don't even know what the value is. So we ended, we ended up doing a joint venture with them where they invested. Uh, they became a minority, 49% shareholder, and we kept editorial control. Uh, they gave us all the back office support and you know investment. And uh, at the end of three years, we ended up selling the entire enterprise, the entire publication to them. But I, and I stayed on board. My partners left because they didn't want to work for a big corporation. But I fell in love with licensing uh, and decided to stay. And uh, and here I've been ever since. And that was 20, almost 23 years ago. So what a story. That is just fantastic, Steve. And so many things uh, fell into place. The timing was right. Um, there wasn't a publication like yours on the market and, and eyes were going that direction. You know, it's really interesting that you mentioned early in that story that you were looking for a bulletproof industry to be a part of. And I'm wondering in the day where we are in COVID, there's been a lot of talk about Hollywood slowdown movie studios on pause or hold or closing. How has that affected the entertainment business? And 
and in turn affected the licensing business. My question is, I guess, is it as bulletproof as maybe we thought it was? So a couple, so, so two sort of divergent answers there. The number one is the irony is that yes, Hollywood studios that produce just films are, are suffering because theaters aren't open. But there's never been a time in history when there's been more people watching television, streaming video <laughs> on demand. It's you nice. see Disney Plus, you see Hulu, you see Netflix, you see – I mean the content – content will always be king. It's just where we consume the content. That's – that. also the video game business is up somewhere double-digit uh, anywhere from 35 to 80% as far as people playing games and being involved in gaming. And, uh, and so, so that's, that's a component as well. Um, the second part of that is licensing, consumer products licensing is not just based on Hollywood films. That's what we see in the toy aisle. That's, that's the most obvious, but consumer products licensing goes into every area of consumer products there is and every category, uh, and it's so much more ubiquitous than anyone can imagine, and I remember how interesting it was when I first started in the business going into retail and walking with someone who knew more about it than me, um, you know, the colleagues that I started the magazine with who, who were came from the retail side who understood licensing and they'd walk me through the aisles and they'd say, see that product right there? Yeah, that's licensed. It is? Yeah. See that product there? That's a collab. That's, uh, that's a, uh, those are two licenses. I was like, wow. Because when licensing works, you have no idea that it's licensing. It just is a natural fit on the store shelf. So that's the other part is um, movies. Uh, and movies are certainly a big part when it comes to toys and and um, and action figures and uh, and collectibles. But th th it's just it's just a small part of of what licensing is and. Um, certainly, the fashion industry. So much of the of so many fashion brands are significantly licensed, and we just have no idea because we just assume that they're all manufactured by the same company. But that's just not the case. So, yep, yep, it's a little bit of a, a hidden industry. I'm glad that you took the tangent that you did into streaming services. I wonder, are we doing enough as manufacturers? to capture these micro trends or these fan bases that pop up as quickly as they do around say, say a Netflix original series or, or something that is released on, on Amazon prime uh, Disney, you know, Disney plus has it pretty well covered, but I'm wondering, especially in an environment like Netflix where something new is produced for Netflix and it becomes very popular. Are we being as quick to market with product as we need to be? For example, something like Umbrella Academy. We just finished a little bit of work on an Umbrella Academy game, but we did that. And now Umbrella Academy is into season two. Are we are we being fast enough to capture those trends? So it's interesting. In the last three or four years, savvy manufacturers have really opened their eyes to uh, new opportunities in in the in media like like um, whether it be streaming video on demand or whether it be YouTube or any of these um, new digital formats, right? Um, 
and, and the business was relatively conservative about that. And, and the big part of that conservativeness was because brick and mortar retailers didn't want to take risks. Uh, and most of them didn't understand it. There weren't um, ratings numbers you could put against it. So for example, Netflix won't, won't give out how many people view a certain, um, a certain show, right? Uh, it, maybe they will after the fact, but they won't certainly do it during the actual, while the show is going on. So there isn't the Nielsen ratings that you have in television. There isn't the um, box office report that you have in film. So the stats aren't there. And, and uh, brick and mortar retailers especially are very, very cautious. And, uh, and so that was one of the reasons why people weren't moving quickly. Um, but, um, but, you know, with, with all the changes that have taken place pre COVID, you know, with, with us moving to really going from analog to digital world very quickly. And then of course, COVID sort of really, um, pushed us into a digital world. You know, those of us who weren't fully in it, we're now fully in it. Right. Um, right. And and so people are are, are realizing, uh, manufacturers are realizing that they have to move more swiftly, that they need to take advantage of these. Um, the other part of it, the other equation is, it's hard sometimes for these manufacturers to to be able to get the rights to 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 for the licenses. Netflix um, until recently. First of all, Netflix doesn't control the rights to all their programming. If you know the thing that people have to realize is when it says it's a Netflix original, it only means that they've leased the rights for a particular marketplace for X amount of time. That makes it a Netflix original. Sometimes Netflix actually produces it or co-produces it, and sometimes they lease it right from whoever the creator was, uh, and they lease the 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 streaming right, they, they, they lease the streaming rights. They don't necessarily lease the consumer products licensing rights. So you have to find out who controls the consumer products rights on it, right? Uh, you have to get a contact there and then you have to um, be able to negotiate. And one of the frustrations about the licensing business is that it's a negotiation. It can sometimes take up to a year to negotiate a contract, right? And in that year, when you're negotiating, that could be the trend could be over, the fad could be gone, the show could be off the air, and by the time the product comes out, guess what? Nobody even remembers what the show was. So it's a it's a it's a big gamble that that manufacturers have to take, um, and it's very risky. So yeah, that has always been an interesting part of the licensing business to me is that it is really heavily weighted on the negotiation. Um, something like a Star Wars can command 20%, whereas something like Spider-Man may command uh, 15% because both of those are known to sell products. But then in, in those lower tiers, there are varying degrees of power to sell product. And the negotiation is really based around that. Speak to that a little, a little bit. If we have a new brand that we have created and we want to license, uh, say at one of your licensing shows, we want to pitch that around. Where do we begin qualifying our uh, potential 
ability to sell product based on what we've created. Brand new license, really unknown to the world, but we want a, a publisher or we want a movie studio to jump on board and to, to make our dream a reality. What are we having to think about when we go into the negotiating room? Sure. So, so just for the for our listeners today, um, you you threw out twenty percent, fifteen percent. That's royalty, um, and and royalty is what the licensor, the the property owner, commands. It's what they ask for from the manufacturer. So, in the case of a twenty percent royalty rate on Star Wars, they're asking for twenty percent of what of the wholesale price of the product. Uh, and wholesale, and there's no rule of thumb here, by the way, but you can do the math by going, well, wholesale is about 50% of retail, right? So, um, so if, um, if a product is selling for $10, 50%, the, the wholesale price would be $5. So you're paying a royalty, a 20% royalty on $5. Okay. So just to set the stage a little bit, um, so a new IP creator pitching for the first time, what, they, what should they be prepared to know and show? Um, I think first and foremost, before anything else, the IP owner needs – the IP itself needs to have significant following. It, it, I can't tell you how many times over the years I've been contacted with people who have a great new IP that they've developed, right? And, I'm, and I'll say to them, well, what is it? Is it a book? Is it, it – it's a – uh, animated. It's for animation. Okay. So where's the animation showing? Oh, the animation isn't on the air. Oh, uh, okay. Well, how many episodes do you have in the can? Oh, we don't have any episodes in the can. Right. Right. We, it's unproven. We, we we just came up with the concept. We actually haven't even animated it yet. So that, let me just say, that is not ready for licensing consumer products. What it's ready for is licensing to an animation studio. Okay, that's but that's that's different, and that that's a different market. When we talk about licensing, when, when I'm talking about licensing, I'm talking about consumer products, uh, experiences. Uh, so products and experiences is what we're talking about. So we're talking about a uh, intellectual property that is established in some form or another. So it could be a book. It could be, let's say it's a kid's book, right? It's a kid's book and and you've got, I don't know, half a million, you've sold half a million books. That's pretty good, right? Okay, so you sold half a million books and it's, say, the age range is, I don't know, uh, 8 to 12. So now that's a good range to go to an uh, animation producer and say, I want to get this produced. So now you go to the animation producer and they produce the animation. But one of the things they're probably going to do is if they're savvy, which most of them are these days, they're going to say they also want the consumer products licensing rights. As the creator of the IP, you need to have an attorney, okay, really important, have an intellectual property attorney that you have on board very early on who's going to negotiate on your behalf for the rights. You don't want to give up, particularly on a property that has a significant consumer products potential. You don't want to fully give up the rights. You may have to give up some of the rights, but you don't want to give up the rights fully because that can be um, a dividend that pays off for years to come, right? So having an IP attorney, super, super important. The other thing is, if in fact, 
you sense that this has a great deal of licensing potential, look at potential at hiring a licensing agent. Licensing agent will command a significant portion of the royalty, anywhere between 30 to 40%. However, they have the expertise to take it to market. They know who the manufacturers are to go after. They know how to negotiate the deals. They also have the retail. If you have a good one, they, they have retail contacts where they can place it at retail. So, you know, oftentimes I hear people say, I'm not going to give up 30 to 40 percent of, 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 the, of the royalties. And I'm like, well, you know, giving up 30 to 40 percent is better than having 100 percent of nothing, right? It's very competitive out there. It's very, very difficult to get stuff on shelves, whether they be e-commerce or whether it be um, brick and mortar. And so uh, if you're just starting out, you have to understand that licensing is like an onion. There's many layers and it's not as easy as it looks and it takes a long time to negotiate and you really need um, experts behind you who really understand the business and and are going to um, really be behind it. And, you know, a good a good licensing agent shouldn't should not ask you for uh, a fee right? Their fee is that is the royalty. And so that's the motivating factor for them to go out and do the license. And at the end of the day, your IP attorney should actually set it up so that you can say yay or nay, I approve or disapprove, because there may be product, there may be products that you as the IP owner will say, I don't want those products in the marketplace. I don't think they're appropriate. Or I don't like the look of this. I don't like the look of the design. So they'll also create a style guide that will, um, that will help uh, guide the the product development. Someone who can get you in front of the right people and adjust your creation appropriately uh, is invaluable. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely agree with your statement. Interested to hear success stories, Stephen, that have come out of the licensing expos that you've been involved with all over the world. Uh, what what success stories can you tell us that sure. come out of that? So uh, there's so many, uh, you know, w- when you posed this question to me earlier and I had to really think about it. And I, I like to go back to when I first started in the business because I was um, I was still kind of young and, and starry eyed and, and just amazed at, at what what the successes that you saw. Um, and also that was a time going back 20 odd years ago when the business was um, was it was easier. It was easier because there was more retailers. There was more w- willingness to take risk. Um, but I go back, you know, thinking back to my first licensing expo where I was publishing license magazine in 1998, Teletubbies. I don't know if you remember Teletubbies, but Teletubbies was yes. a huge, huge and the guy that was behind it, he had actually come from. His name was Ken Weisselman. He came from. Um, he had come from working for uh, Britt Allcroft, which at that time owned Thomas the Tank Engine, uh, yes. and he had been the marketing guy behind Thomas. and And so he he um, he managed to get the rights for Teletubbies in the U.S. And he was just a a, a, a real promoter, like a P.T. Barnum, and he just he. He put so much money into his presence at licensing show. He bought all the steps at Javits and he had stickers on. He bought all the buses and he he had Teletubbies on the buses. Everywhere you went was Teletubbies. And um, 
and it was just it was like it was like a feeding frenzy for teletubbies, and I was just amazed because I thought it was somewhat of a strange property to be honest with you. <laughs> um, but I was just amazed because because that showed me how you know entertainment marketing how it all works together you know and 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 this guy really put so many marketing dollars behind it and just was such a huge success. Uh, and then, you know, at that time, other properties that were uh, preschool, preschool was big back then preschool for particularly for toys. So Barney was a huge, huge success. Another one that, that I thought was a bit odd, right. Um, uh, Bob, the builder, right. Bob, the builder was just starting. Then that became a huge hit. The wiggles, which came from Australia, huge, 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 huge hit. Um, right, uh, several years after starting Harry Potter came out big, 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 big. I mean, Harry Potter was huge. Uh, then several years after that Bratz, which was an MGA property. That was a tremendous, not only was the core IP tremendous, but the licensing on that was, was just huge. Then, um, you know, again, late nineties, Pokemon, Pokemon, you know, which uh, which was the rights uh, were gotten from Japan from a, a, a licensing agency called Four Kids, brought it over. They they bought the TV rights for Pokemon and the licensing rights, and it became a juggernaut, just a juggernaut. Uh, and then you know, uh, moving forward a little bit, uh, Paw Patrol, which is Spin Master, that was developed by Spin Master. Spin Master is an interesting case because. It was a toy company founded by three young young guys in the in the early '90s, um, and very creative. And they saw early on that if they produced their own IP, they wouldn't be paying um, they wouldn't have to pay so much in licensing. So they actually created their own um, production company. And Paw Patrol was a co-production with Nickelodeon, which they which they actually came up with the concept. Um, so very smart. And, and I used to see those guys, um, when they were young and hungry, I used to see them at every trade show there was, they would come to the content trade shows, MIPCOM and MIP TV and in con looking, just trying to learn the business. And, and they, they did so well doing it. Just amazing. So, yeah. Um, you know, those are just some of the, some of the success stories, other ones that actually Debuted at Licensing Expo for the first time were uh, Baby Shark, Pink Fong, Baby Shark. Of course. Uh, yes. There's an artist named Jim Benton who had something called Happy Bunny, which was um, just a really big kind of fad for a while there. Uh, Ugly Dolls, another one that, that debuted at Licensing Expo with no, they had no media behind them at all, just this concept, which was these dolls that were ugly. And um, yeah. <laughs> and they ended up making a universal movie. It wasn't a huge success, but they ended up, you know, Hollywood. Hollywood is always looking for content, and I can tell you that Hollywood shops the aisles of life, all of our licensing shows. You've got you've got tons of producers walking through there looking for ideas, looking for IP because Hollywood is hungry for IP and hungry for franchises. Yeah, yeah, and what you've said here too is that adults don't necessarily have to get it. Something like a Teletubbies can be a success if it's got the promotional energy behind it uh, to really get out there, especially in preschool. Uh, adults don't have to understand what's what's happening on screen. Uh, it can be purely based on that audience of children, yep. uh, which is just uh, phenomenal. And you can 
the the names that you just rattled off there, those success stories, you can easily and quickly see how we get to a $300 billion a year industry doing this. So let me ask a question for the listeners out there, Stephen. I have many, many extremely creative listeners that tune in. They are creating stories. They are creating toy product. And I want to ask the question, if I'm an IP creator and I am pitching for the first time something that I've created, what do I need to know about the business? What do I need to bring to the table? What do I need to know so that I don't go in and look like a novice? Be prepared to understand that this is uh, it's a that you're dealing in a business. So you, it's, it's sometimes it's hard as a creator to understand business. It's very rare that you find someone who's both creative and business minded, and oftentimes they're at odds with one another. Right? Um, the creative uh, sees the business as exploitive, and the business sees the creative as not being grounded in reality. So <laughs> it's really critical to sort of open your mind and, and have an open mind and be able to say, if I'm going to commercialize what it is that I've created, if I'm going to commercialize it, if I want to actually monetize it in some way, shape or form, or, or beyond commercialize it, if I just want to see it get into the marketplace, which is basically commercializing it, I need to compromise. Number one, I need to be able to compromise. I need to understand the other person's point of view, what they might want to do with it. Not necessarily agree with it, but at least understand where they're coming from. So, so it's really um, – that's super critical to succeeding is being able to understand and to compromise. It's like, it's like a marriage, okay? You're never going to have a successful marriage if you don't compromise. And licensing is a marriage. It's the marriage of creative with commercial. And, and, and I, think, I think that is really, um, you know, the best way to kind of describe it is uh, if, if you want it to succeed, you've got to see it as a marriage. That's a great answer, Stephen. In in your shows and your expos, you've created an environment where Hollywood, the toy industry, TV production studios, inventors, manufacturers, publishers, uh, food brands, and and more come together under one roof and, and try to get these deals done. As an IP creator, how do you know where your property fits? Is it is it animation? Is it for a food brand? Is it a toy? Um, what kind of elements are you looking for so that you know what slot to put that in? So that, that's a great question. And, and I think it's incumbent upon the creator um, to to really if they're going to if they're going to successfully license, they need to do their homework. And part of that is understanding, studying what has worked in the past as far as licensing goes in products, going to trade shows, uh, particularly licensing trade shows. If you can't afford to go to licensing trade shows or you don't have the time to go to licensing trade shows, at least read the licensing trades. We publish something called License Global, uh, the, the magazine I founded. We have a, it's a, It comes out as a daily e-news. It's free of charge. Uh, all the information we put out is free of charge. Uh, so you can subscribe free to License Global, and that it's basically a very quick, you know, six, seven, eight stories of 
um, what's going on in the licensing business as far as like properties being licensed, what's succeeding at retail, that kind of thing. Take a look at that. Read it on a regular basis. It doesn't take more than five or 10 minutes to read. Um, and you'll discover very easily what's what's working, what's successful, um, what categories work for what types of properties. And sometimes in licensing, oftentimes multiple categories work, right? You know, in, with a kid's property, for example, it can work in toys, it can work in apparel, it can work in in home goods, it can work in food and beverage, it can work in many, many, um, you know, something like Paw Patrol, for example, it's in, I don't know, it's probably in 70, they probably got 70 different categories of licensed, different categories in licensing that they can do because it's ubiquitous amongst a certain age range of kids who are tuning into it every day on Nickelodeon and they'll buy, you know, they'll buy Paw Patrol macaroni and cheese or they'll buy the toys or they'll buy the pajamas or the books or the CDs from the music. Um, There's so many brand extensions that can happen from one IP. So um, studying it, studying the business is really crucial um, to success, right? Uh, and then an understanding that that partnerships uh, are key, uh, that you have to be able to trust the companies that you're doing business with that you're potentially going to license to. There needs to be a trust level. You have to get to know those companies. You need to see what products what other products they've put out in the marketplace. Because if, if they're talking to you about your IP license, they've probably done other licenses. Um, very rarely that you're going to have a company that's never done a license before that's going to talk to you. So what have they done before? What do they have out in the marketplace? How are they succeeding? What's their retail distribution strategy? Are they selling brick and mortar? Are they, uh, are they selling at a discounter like Walmart? Are they selling upstairs at uh, Neiman Marcus? That kind of thing. So um, those are all really kind of critical factors to understand. Perfect. Do your homework. It's such a valuable answer, Stephen. Guys, go back, rewind, listen to that again. So much good information in that answer. Stephen, the next five years, what are you excited about coming down the pipe in the licensing industry? What changes are happening? Um, we talked a little bit before the show about the global economy and how the and how that begins to change the licensing business. What are you looking forward to? Well, uh, that's like it's it, it, it's very exciting. Um, next five years, uh, and and really, no one can predict. the The beauty about licensing is you can't. No one can predict where the next big hit's coming from. You've got the big. Big companies, the Nickelodeons, Mattels, Hasbro's, they're all trying to create the next big licensed property for kids, right? And yet sometimes it comes out of nowhere, like Baby Shark, you know, Ping Fong's Baby Shark or, or um, you know, La La Loopsie or, or one, a property that no one had ever heard of before. It just comes out of nowhere. Um, but what, what excites me is – Digital properties really are the forefront of the business right now. So, for example, uh, and I like to, to use this as an example because, particularly for the toy business, because for years, when video games first started, they were competing um, for dollars from kids, right? It was either a kid buys a video game or he buys a toy. And what's happened is that um, after 40 years of the business, the 
business of video games has been around 40 years, right? So it's now multi-generational. But after all that time, it's actually become, video games have become entertainment IP that now transcend into the toy business. So there's a lot of toys being made from video games. So what was once competitive to the business is now complementary to the business. And, you know, for example, when you look at um, uh, Roblox, Minecraft, you know, both of those are licensed by Jazzwares Toys, uh, and they've done a brilliant job. Jazzwares has done a brilliant job of creating toys around those. Um, I also like to use the example of Lego. You know, Lego is by far the most successful toy company in the world. Uh, when you think about what their IP is, it's a plastic brick. Uh, they started out with a plastic brick. So from a very simple idea, which is a plastic brick that you can build with, they've managed to become the leading toy company in the world, also one of the leading licensors, so they can license out the Lego name, and one of the leading licensees, they license in Star Wars, Harry Potter, um, uh, many, many, uh, many entertainment licenses they'll bring in. And one of their most successful parts of their business is video games. Lego, most successful, profitable part of their business is the video games they've produced. So this is really, and, it, and, it's, and that's all digital. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of digital properties. I also look at, um, look at YouTube. YouTube is producing, is for kids entertainment, the number one place where kids go for entertainment. And I'm talking about even for preschool, right? Blippy. I don't know if you know Blippy, but Blippy. of course, Blippy. yes, yeah. Okay, uh, Blippy was just purchased by a company called Moonbug, which is wants to be the next Disney. It's a European-based company uh, that's buying up all of the greatest kids' digital content they can get from YouTube. They uh, they also have a property called Coco Melon, Little Baby Bum, uh, and they are going to do what Disney did, which is basically create franchises. So they start with the entertainment IP on YouTube and then expand into consumer products, eventually um, theme parks. And so I would keep my eye on that company, Moonbug, because they are definitely um, looking to be the next Disney. And watch for the Moonbug streaming service yeah, coming soon. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, then, and then the other digital uh, area that I am very bullish on is esports. Esports, for those of you who don't know, is basically competitive video games. It's a mashup of video games and competitive sports. It's going to double double the size of the sports licensing business in about five years' time. So right now, sports licensing is about a $45 billion a year industry. It'll be $90 billion a year in, in five years. And and forty five billion of that will be esports alone, teams, leagues, players, you name it. This is and people scoff and they sort of laugh about the idea that video games can be competitive and that that these people are athletes. And I was one of those doubting Thomases, but trust me, do the research and you will you will be amazed at the size and scope of the esports business and where it's headed and where it's going. There's a, a streaming service that's owned by Amazon called Twitch. For those of you who may not know, 
it's um, pretty amazing. Uh, it's it's pretty much all programmed around competitive video gaming. Uh, they have they have the eyeballs of the biggest spending consumers, both uh, Gen Z, mostly Gen Z, but millennials as well. And uh, it's pretty amazing. So those are sort of the areas that I, I'm very bullish on. Lastly, I'll say the emergence of China as the largest consumer products marketplace in the world is fundamentally is fundamentally going to alter our business. So many of our Western IP brands, whether they be entertainment or brands or fashion, everyone is trying to get into China. If they're not already there, they're trying to get into China. The China marketplace is they're very, it's a very wealthy economy. It's a population of 1.4 billion. It's uh, it tends to skew younger professional, um, disposable income. Uh, it's not the third world country that people thought it once was. Uh, and they have discretionary dollars to spend. And from a licensing perspective, it's a gold mine. So, and frankly, if I was a 20 something or even an early 30 something in the business right now, I would be in night school studying Mandarin, honestly. Because we have a business in China, we have a show that we do in China, a licensed show in China. I've really kind of focused on that market for the last two years. And I have to say, they are so much more sophisticated um, in their technology and in their marketing than we are here in the West. And I know that may be hard for people to swallow, but, um, but it is. They are. Uh, they have figured out how to create content and commerce together through uh, technology, whether it be streaming video on demand or, or WeChat or any of their social media um, apps that they use. You know, right now there's a, there's a controversy over TikTok, which is owned by a Chinese company. Our president, um, Trump, has, has said they need to sell to an American company. Microsoft and Oracle and a number of other uh, companies are competing to try to buy it. Um, if you're familiar with TikTok at all, it's an incredible social media marketing tool. And the influencers on there can really influence um, product sales as well. So uh, I would just add that to the, to, to the part of the digital properties I'm talking about is the whole idea of social media and, uh, and uh, TikTok, the TikToks of the world, the Instagrams, um, and even, even uh, sites like BuzzFeed, which have done amazingly well with consumer products licensing. Well, Stephen, not only have you come on here and given us a tremendous education in licensing, you've, you've also focused my stock portfolio. I'm looking <laughs> at eSports. I'm looking at Moonbug. <laughs> uh, I think that's just fantastic. Stephen, really great spending this time with you. Thank you for bringing together these worlds. You bring together industries. You bring together countries. Uh, and you have just given us an absolute masterclass on the show today. Thank you so much for taking the time and, and uh, thank you for what you've done in the industry for a, a long, long time now. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Phil. And I really appreciate you having me on. It's been a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to the Power Kid podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe so that you never miss an episode and leave a good review on iTunes. This helps us find more great listeners just like you. Remember also to check out the other shows that are a part of the Adventure Media and Events Podcast Network family. 
This show is brought to you by the PowerKid Design and Development Team. We are a full-service design and development studio serving the toy and game industry for over 20 years. Our partners, large and small, rely on us for invention, concept development, packaging, branding, prototyping, and much more. You can find me on my LinkedIn page, check out the website at PowerKidDesign.com, or email me directly, phil at PowerKidDesign.com. I am always happy to connect and help you develop your next great product. It's been an honor to spend this time with you today. Now go out and make something great. And remember, you are creative because you were created. God bless, and I'll see you next episode.